Go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalms 34, 8. Psalms 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for who You are. And over the last several weeks, we have been uh, learning what the Bible says about Your goodness. And in Psalm 34, 8, You tell us to taste and see that You are good, not just to hear about it, not just to acknowledge it, not just to affirm it but to taste and see that the Lord is good. And so, Father, as we continue learning about Your goodness, hearing what the Bible says about Your goodness, may we uh, not just be hearers, but but doers of Your Word. And, Lord, even even if the Holy Spirit should bring conviction, even if the Holy Spirit should reveal things to us about us, may we receive that as part of your goodness. In fact, in Romans it says that your kindness, your goodness leads us to repentance. That, that you desire life change uh, out of your goodness. So Lord, we love you. We love your word. And uh, ask you now through your Holy Spirit to, uh, to speak to us and then to bring the necessary application. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Years and years ago, I came across uh, one of those little tracks that are available in Christian stores or various churches. And and this track had a little uh, tape measure on it. And it said, basically, you know, the the point of the track was that there's an eternal difference or there's a potential eternal difference in 18 inches or 18 inches can make an eternal difference and what they were talking about in the track was the 18 inches from, from your brain to your heart, you know, whatever that, that actual measurement is. And they said, you know, there's an eternal difference from here to here. And, and if you've been with us for any length of time, you know when it comes to the gospel and salvation, there's an eternal difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. In fact, last, last week, John 17:3, right, we saw it said, now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That word know is gnosko. It's intimate, personal, close relationship. The word picture is a husband and wife, the intimacy of a husband and wife. And so uh, it is much more than knowing about Jesus. It's knowing him in a pers- intimate, personal, intimate, close relationship. You know, the difference between here and here. And, and as I've been going through in my own life and, and application of this study of the goodness of God, I, I shared with the guys this morning in the office before we prayed, it's like this has been one of the most challenging personal studies for me. Because if we take the time to really meditate on, reflect upon, and then allow God's Holy Spirit to speak truth to us regarding His goodness in our lives, it's transformative because it really touches every part of your life. Really does. The goodness of God, one of the, the challenges is that, it, it, oh yeah, God's good. Yeah, move on. We say it every week. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Yeah, so let's just move on. But then, if we take the time to go from here, okay, Lord, I wanted to go from here to here, suddenly this gap, this distance, can mean supernatural transformation today today as you walk in the goodness of God 24/7 24/7 and and last week I shared with you a little phrase you know don't confuse familiarity with understanding don't don't confuse the fact that you hear God is good God is good God is good don't assume that you know what that means don't assume that you get it because the truth of you're getting it is played out in your life. How do you know that you, you know the goodness of God? Just look at your life. See your reactions, right? See, see some practical applications. In fact, what I did, if you, if you have your notes there, I changed 
from just putting references to past uh, bullet points, past sermon themes, I changed them into questions to bring some accountability. Because James says, don't just be hearers, be what? Doers. In fact, in James, he says, hey, if, if you have come to the conclusion that simply hearing the word is enough, you are deceived. Because he says, don't be deceived. So the truth is, coming to church is great. Listening to, to sermons, listening to the radio, reading books, going to conferences, great, great, great. If you do something with it. There is a very, very profound danger as a believer that your faith becomes knowledge acquisition. And you assume you're growing because your quantity of knowledge is growing. And let me tell you, that's not really true. It's not. Now, is it important to do an expository study of 1 John? Yes. Is it important to know doctrines? Yes. But James says, don't deceive yourself into thinking that only hearing is good enough. You're deceived. Right? And, and you've seen me before here. I, I'll carry around in a mirror. Right? How many of you looked in the mirror this morning? How many of you looked in the mirror, honestly? You're looking, how many of you obeyed your mirror? Okay, let me let's just say what What did your mirror say to you this morning? You need to fix yourself, right? <laughs> you need to fix yourself. How many mirrors this morning said, brush your hair? Mike, yes, I know Mike. Powder your powder, powder, whatever, shine, buff, right? How, how many of your mirrors said, wash your face? How many of your mirrors said, what happened? What happened? Eight hours ago, you were fine, right? So, we woke up. We are ingrained. How many of you like your mirrors? How many of you appreciate having a mirror? How many of you, yeah, you don't always like what it says, but you appreciate having it. How many of you appreciate car windows when you're walking by them? (laughs) (laughs) Right? The big windows at the mall. Huh? Right? Oh, my gosh, right? We like mirrors. We see mirrors in a very positive way. We want mirrors to tell us our imperfections so that when we leave home, right, we, we catch it before we leave, right? James is saying, hey, God's Word is a spiritual mirror. God's Word is a spiritual mirror. He gives us His truth out of His goodness so that Mark, well, you're an electronic one now, Mark, before you leave home and in your life, I'm... I'm not here to ruin your life. I I want you to look in the mirror, my word, so that I can show you things about your character because I want you to be godly. Right? We we, we look at our mirrors in terms of physical imperfections, correcting them, and God says, here's my word because my goal for you is to be Jesus-like. So through the word, I'm just going to show you things that you need to wash, brush, shave, right? Right? And so, so for many of us, if we would just simply change our view of God's word, into in God's goodness, He gave it to us for our benefit. Amen? Amen? And so in His goodness, He says, hey, as you're learning my goodness, you're going to have to bring practical application. It's time to actually brush your hair. It's time to actually wash the face. Because James says, it'd be silly for you to look in the mirror. Okay, I'm good. And do nothing, Right? He says that's the same as someone who looks in the mirror and forgets what they see and just goes about their business, right? We're not to do that with the Word of God. We're to to, to look, to let Him speak to us, and then to do something about it. So here in your notes, I asked you some questions about what we've been studying the last several weeks. Our priorities, right? Matthew 6.31. Let's turn there really quick. Matthew 6.31. Just give you some context for the question. Matthew 6.31. We studied the passage at length, but we're just, this is just a little snippet. Matthew 6.31. So do not worry, 
saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So the question on your, on your notes there is, has God's goodness affected my priorities? Really, we, we spend a lot of time that day. Has God's goodness, knowing that He knows my needs, He in fact says three times, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Have you taken the time to allow God's goodness to affect your priorities? Your worry level. Your anxiety level. See how real? That's, that's, that's this difference. That's the difference from here. Oh yeah, don't worry. Okay, got it, God. Like that one. In fact, there's, I sing a song. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. I sung that since I was in VBS. But have you allowed it to go from here to here? Right? Then you turn to Matthew 7. Right? Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And we spent that week asking ourselves, how do you approach God in prayer? When you come to God, is, is it like fearful and you're like, like you're begging and, and you're like, Lord, I know, you know, it's me again and, and, and I don't mean to bug you. And Lord, if you have some extra things lying around that you're not needing, can you kind of kick it my way? Right? Do you approach God hesitantly? Do you approach God, you know, afraid to bring your needs before Him? Or according to this verse, in His goodness, are you coming to God knowing, believing in His goodness, He wants good gifts for you. What a radical transformation, right? What a wonderful way. We talked about how if we grasp God's goodness in light of prayer, we might be more motivated to what? Pray. Because we like being around people who we believe want our best, right? Many of the reasons you like coming here every week is because you walk through the door and it's like, hey! Right? And you believe that the people in this church family love you and want your good. Amen? That's one of the core reasons that you're drawn. If we could bring that into a heart-level belief about God, our prayer life may just change. Our prayer life could be radically affected. So has your prayer life been affected? Perseverance, peace, patience. Has God's goodness affected how I deal with trials? Turn to Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, how many things? All things. God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. So as a believer, there is a truth there. That no matter what happens in your life, God is going to work it for the, the good. Does this mean everything in our life is good? No. It just means that we can rest if we go from here to here in God's goodness. Our reaction and response to trials, tribulations will be radically transformed. Because instead of necessarily getting angry and frustrated, why, 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 why? We say, okay, Lord, I don't understand why you're allowing this, but you say it works for my good. So I'm going to rest in that truth. You see, if you allow God's goodness to go from here to here, it takes care of a lot of the whys. Because we're not going to know a lot of the why answers. Right? So, so and that's where a lot of people get stuck and get bitter, and get angry, or just sort of use it as a deflection. Well, why this? And why this? And why this? And why this? God's goodness allows us to let the wise go unanswered. Hmm? Because it's his, He's good all the time. And all the time, He is good. So if I don't understand the why... 
completely, it's okay. Because I'm resting not in the answer to my why, I'm resting in his what? Goodness. You see? How many of you have ever had little kids that you would not let play with the outlet? Why? Or play in the street. Why? Danger, right? You're protecting them. You had the bigger picture. You cared about them. You wanted what's best for them. How many of you ever had to put a boundary on a little kid and they were mad at you? Didn't like it. You're trying to ruin my life. You're trying to ruin my fun. Right? Why, 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 why? Because, see, at that maturity level, they're not going to get it. And then how many of you have tried to explain the why to a two-year-old? And what happens? Why, why, why? And then finally you say, because I said so. See, right? Universal. God, why? But why? But why? But why? Because I said so. But see, you can receive the because I said so because he is good. Right? Receiving and submitting to I said so is tremendously easier when you're convinced of his goodness. Amen? You just rest in it. It's okay. I don't have to know why. I just know you're good. I just know you're good. Okay? So the question is, has God's goodness affected how I deal with trials? And then turn to John 6. This is what we looked at last week. John 6.26. Jesus has just fed the 5,000 men. So there's probably more with women and children. The day before, he crosses the Sea of Galilee, comes to Capernaum. That morning, some people who were fed in the miracle of the loaves and fishes follow him to Capernaum, and they have this conversation with him, right? So let's start in verse 25, John 6:25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Last week we asked the question, are you passionate about the giver or about the gifts? What, and Jesus says, hey, you know what? You followed me over here today because you got bread and fish yesterday. You didn't really see that that miracle is pointing to me as Messiah, as God. You're not coming to follow me and who I am in my nature and my character. You're just coming to get something again. It's motive. And last week we looked at the question, we really asked the question, why are we here? Why am I here? Why do you go to church? Why do you read the Bible? Why do you serve? Why do you give? Is it out of a passion for God? What's the first commandment? Love the Lord your God with your whole being, right? Or are we motivated to get something? Do we come to church? Do we serve? Do we give? Do we pray? Do we read the Bible in the hopes of getting something? What's our motive? And, and in fact, we were pretty, pretty direct last Sunday and we asked ourselves this. Are you loving God or are you using God? Are you loving God or are you using God? And that, that's Jesus. I love Jesus when he would interact with people because he would cut past all the fluff and he says, boom, I know your heart. Why are you really here? And, and in the goodness of God, we have to be very careful that as we understand His goodness and His desire for our good, that it doesn't translate into a selfish, self-centered, serve-me thing. In fact, God's goodness should actually well up in us and go right back to Him. God, You are so good, here's my life. Everything I have, in fact, Corinthians says, what do you have that you have not received? The answer would be nothing. 
This is what he's, he's challenging the Corinthian church, the believers. He says, what do you have that you have not received? Right? And we looked in Deuteronomy where he warned the Israelites. He said, hey, when you get to the promised land and you have all the food you want, have all the comfort you want, what did he say in Deuteronomy? Hey, by the way, don't forget me. Because he knew when we're comfortable, we have a tendency to what? Forget God. Because we're good to go. Right? We looked at the church of Laodicea. They were comfortable. Laodicea would be Ojai economically well. They had all kinds of stuff, right? Jesus is outside the door of the church and they don't even know it. And he comes to the church of Laodicea and says, hey, by the way, you're naked, you're wretched, and you're blind. But Lord, we, we thought that all this comfort we were enjoying in our life meant that you blessed us. No, you're naked, wretched, blind, and pitiful. That's your spiritual condition, right? Because what had happened is they had allowed the material things of the world to become the priority. The good gifts of God now became a self-centered idol. And he brings correction to the church of Laodicea and he says, Hey, I'm outside the door. Can I come back in? And so last week we asked ourselves the question, What is our motive? What is our motive? And, you know, I've been in ministry for almost 25 years. And, and over all that course of years, there are always a variety of, we find out a variety of reasons that people come to church. And having been in youth ministry, there's a variety of motives. I have to come. My parents make me. I want to be here. I love Jesus. I love, I want to get closer to God. The girls here are cute. This is the youth group where all the cute girls come. That's why, I mean, motive. And it's apparent. I mean, you can try to hide your motive, but it it eventually betrays you. It leaks out in in ways that you don't even know, that that we catch. And and so you ask yourself, what, what is my motive? Am I more focused on what I get, the gifts? Or am I here to grow in my love and passion for the giver? Knowing that all those things will be added unto me. He's got all that stuff covered. And so, so the question from last week was, has God's goodness affected my motives? You see, that, that's even personal to me as a, as a pastor because as pastors we, we deal with this whole success syndrome. So one of the, the, the heart questions for me as a pastor, what's your motive, pastor? What's your motive for being up there? Is it to grow a big church? Is it, to get, is it numbers? Is that what's going to make you feel better? What, what's your motive? Right? What's your motive? And so I've been working through this personally, pastorally. What's your motive, right? So has God's goodness affected my motives? And we spent a lot of time. You can listen to it online if you weren't able to be here. And then this morning, we're going to take another, just another step forward in trying to bring God's goodness and understanding, not just in in head knowledge, not just something that we affirm and go, wow, that's really good. Yeah, God's good. We're going to bring it down to street level again. We're going to bring it down to just being real, right? And it says there, place God's good, which means God's plan or God's will, above my personal preferences. Are we at a place where by faith and obedience we will truly seek God's will, His plan, His goodness, above my personal preferences. Right? And, and, and it's one of those, what do, you, well, what do you get, right? Let's go to Genesis 3. Let's look at Genesis 3. Genesis 3. Familiar passage of the fall, right? Genesis 3, 1. Let's start there. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some, of it, took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now think about this for just a moment. When God created, through the creation story, he creates something, and then what does he say? It was good. All the way up to it was very good, right? God places Adam and Eve in the garden, and in his goodness, what did he provide? Everything. Everything. Just except one thing, right? So, in the environment of complete goodness, in the environment of complete goodness, all their provisions, relationship with God, all their physical needs met, right? In the, in the environment of complete goodness, God says, in my goodness, here's my will. Just don't eat of that. My good will, my good plan for you is to enjoy everything, but just don't touch that. Just don't eat that. Eve has this conversation, right? You're familiar with it. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. What was at the root of the fall of sin? Disobedience. What else? Selfishness. God had said in many ways, in my good plan, in my good will... You can enjoy all this, but in my good plan for you, Eve, don't eat that. In my good plan for you, don't go there to that one. What was at the core of her struggle? Doubt. Doubt in God's goodness. Okay, and we, all, we, we looked at that before. But also, hmm, I think I know what's better. Than God. I think I know what's for my good. You see? We say God is good and all the time. Okay. Then why do we struggle with obedience? If His will, as revealed in His Word, is good and all the time. Hmm. Forgive others as Christ forgave you. But we just said that God is... Oh, now, no, no. <laughs> See? See? When it, didn't, when it didn't touch your life, God is good! Now that it touches your life, God... Yeah, if you say so. Dora says he's good. I'm still trying to figure. God is all the time and all the time. So if God is good all the time and his will is good all the time and he reveals, reveals his will through his word, where are we struggling then? Why don't we just eat it all up? And just run out here and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just fuck because this is good. God said this is good. His will is best for me. He wants good for me. I'm just going to eat this up and do whatever it says. What's one of the struggles we have? Temptation. We struggle sometimes with believing that we know what's good. We, we think, we believe that we just might know what's better for us than God. Right? Turn to Proverbs 14.12. Proverbs 14.12. Now, when things are repeated in the Bible, there is some significance because it's an example of emphasis. So 14.12 and 16.25 say the exact same thing. So you may want to 
put a note of emphasis if you're comfortable writing in your Bibles. Proverbs 14, Psalms, Proverbs. Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25, identical. Let's read them together. Let's read Proverbs 14.12 together. Ready, set, go. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. One of the first times that I had to take one of my kids up to Hume Lake, I decided to use the GPS and just follow it. Follow it. Right? I'm one of those, no, it says turn left, turn left, right? Just follow the GPS and you'll get there. So it worked for like five hours. We got to the top of the mountain. And then it told us to make a right. And I'm like, I've been here before with high school students. I know we make a left. But the GPS said turn right. So made a right turn based on what I thought the GPS was right. We're going along. And then it says turn left. Okay. And this is in the middle of winter with all these snow berms. And and you can barely see, right? So we go into this parking lot that I've never been in. And it's like, go straight. And I see through the berm a fire road. And I'm conflicted. I'm conflicted. Because I was told that this was the way to go. But that fire road appears to lead to death. (laughs) And I'm like, off. (laughs) And I go back. And I just go ask Mr. Ranger. (laughs) Yeah, don't go there. That's crazy. You know, because, you know, GPS, they go as the crow flies, right? So they're just going the straight. They're not taking you the, the way you're supposed to go. They just see a fire road. And that's a way to get there, the shortest distance. Right? And I'm like, there's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. See, sometimes in our life, we come across crossroads. We have to make decisions. We're seeking the Lord, maybe. And we can almost, if we're not careful, convince ourselves that this is what I'm supposed to do when truthfully it's leading you down the wrong path. It's leading you down the wrong path. Right? And, and there may be some different reasons for that, right? Let's turn to Matthew 7. We're going to look at some different reasons for this. If God is good all the time and reveals His good will through His Word, why am I struggling with just receiving His good will for me? Why don't I just eat it up and just go do it all the time? Right? And it's, it's really an issue of the heart. Right? Sometimes we just believe we know better than God. Look at Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them in practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Right? Very familiar passage. Two builders. What are the similarities? They both what? They both built a house, but they both heard his words. What's the difference? One put it into practice, one didn't. Right? Why didn't he put it into practice? He thought he knew better. Right? If you're going to build a house and the architect contractor says, this is the way you should do it, how many of you don't like instructions. How many of you men, thank you, don't like instructions? How many of you don't like pulling over and asking for directions? 
Thank you, Mike. Right? There's a humility. There's a humility. Right? There, there's a, an admission that I don't know. That I need help. Help. It's pride. It's pride. Right? So, so two, two builders hear Jesus' words. One says, sweet, okay. Boom, 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 boom. House is built on a rock. Another guy... We don't know who he's listening to. Question. Who am I? Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Right? And it's interesting because they don't know that the house, there's a difference in the houses until the storm comes. Because they both look good. Outwardly, they're fine. How you doing? Fine. How was your week? Good. Outwardly, the houses probably look very similar. The difference was when the storm came. Right? So who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? And here's the challenge. Who are you listening to when the weather's good? You see? You see? It doesn't say that the houses were built in the storm. So they had to choose to listen to somebody when the weather was good in preparation for when the storms came. Who are you listening today to? Who are you listening to? Even though the weather in your life might be good right now. Bill likes to talk about spiritual disciplines. The disciplines of the faith. What are you doing? Who are you listening to? What are you doing today? So that your foundation is solid when the storms come. Because Jesus says they're going to come. Right? So two builders. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to, right? There is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. In Judges, you don't have to turn there. In Judges, there was a season for the nation of Israel. It says this. In those days... Israel had no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The NIV says, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. So we might think we know better. We might have another voice that we're listening to. Or quite honestly, we're on the throne. Right now, we say Jesus is Lord, right? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Because it's, it's words, but He's not on the throne of your heart. He's not on the throne of your heart. And it says here, in those days there was no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Whew, Lord, is there an error in my life where I'm just doing what's right in my own eyes? Maybe you're good to go in some areas, and Jesus, you've given up some, some key areas, and that's awesome. That's awesome, okay? I want to celebrate that. But the practical application is, Lord, are You King over it all? Are You King? Are You Lord? Kurios? Master? Owner? Or is there an area or, or two or three in my life where I'm just doing what's right in my own eyes? Am I doing what's right in my own eyes in some areas? Right? That's a, that's a struggle for some. Right? To yield. So, so it's a struggle. It takes humility to ask for help. It takes humility to what? You are Lord. You are King. That's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the heart, right? Turn to James 4. James 4.13 Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. 
pride. Here's a group of guys, maybe with the best of intentions, okay? Maybe they're businessmen, businesswomen. Doesn't say, maybe they want to provide. Maybe, maybe okay, let's give them a done to fail. It's not an evil enterprise they want. Maybe they just desire to make money. Okay, nothing bad in and of itself. Well, what was the problem? They didn't seek God first. And the question is, how many of us in our lives run into something and say, hey, God, by the way, can you bless what I'm doing? Can you bless what I'm doing? I've decided this is what's best for me. I've decided this is good. So could you please bless this? Which is radically different than, Lord, help. I need, I need your goodwill in this issue. I need, I need you to reveal what I'm to do. I'm thinking of doing this. I have a sense that this might be where I'm headed, but Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yield. I'm going to yield. And I don't want to move until you tell me to move. What a radical difference of resting in God's goodness and waiting for Him to reveal His goodwill. His goodwill. Radically different process than simply asking Him to bless me and what I think is best for me. Right? Radically different. Because in Corinthians it says, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. What he's saying in there is like, you know what? You're finite. I'm finite. We're human. We're not going to get the big picture. We're not going to get the big picture. And so in God's goodness, it's like, stop, time out. I'm going to seek the good God who has the big picture first. I'm going to admit that I don't know it all. Elbow, elbow to the person next to you. I don't know it all. And I'm going to yield and trust that God has my good in mind. And I'm going to wait for Him. Because I don't see the big picture. I had a, a good friend, a pastor, years ago, went on a, a trip to Tijuana, and they were going to give out shoes in a colonia. So they go down there with shoes, and the people come up to get the shoes. And my friend tells me a little girl came up to get shoes, and something inside him said, don't give her the shoes. And he, he sensed. He said, oh, don't give her the shoes. But they were there to do that. How could he not? It's a good thing to do. So he gave her the shoes. She went scurrying away. Pastor comes, the local pastor comes, and he tells a story about the little girl. He says, yeah, we don't give them shoes. Because they take the shoes and sell them. God, through His Spirit, was giving my friend discernment. But he, he didn't know the full picture. The big picture was that that girl was just a, the front person for a scam that was taking advantage of missionaries who was bringing all these new shoes and then selling them for profit. And God tried to warn my friend. See, we don't know it all. We, we don't see the big picture. Right? Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. <sighs> how do we rest in the fact that we don't know it all? You know how I've learned to rest? Because I know God is good. Because it's trust. The goodness of God for me has been one of the most challenging in your face, in your heart challenges of trust. Trust. Do I trust in God's goodness in a trial? Do I trust in God's goodness that everything in me wants to go left, but do I trust His goodness if He tells me to go right? Will I trust His goodness? Am I willing to seek... Okay, so how do... Give me some helps in discerning God's good will for my life. Here it is. Give you three. 
prayer, His Word, the counsel of other believers. I would guess that many of us don't go there when it comes time to decision making in our life. We'll figure out numbers. We'll crunch numbers. We'll do a lot of a lot of those kind of calculations. But how many of us, when we sit and we're at a decision making time in our life, will say, "Lord, I got to seek you in prayer. I might have to fast. Lord, what does your word say about this area?" Lord, can you lead me to other godly men and women who will speak truth to me? There's where he reveals his will. Because here's the the deal. He wants you to know it. See, a lot of us look at God and his will like this. Pick a hand, Mark. Is my will for you in the right or the left? Oh, sorry, Mark. Come back next year. Try again. See, a lot of us look at God as he's hiding his will behind his back or a shell game. Try to find it. I'm hiding it from you. Try to find it. When the truth is, God wants you to know his will. Amen? The problem is not with him wanting to know, wanting us to know his will. The problem with us being able to receive it. Because what if his good will doesn't feel so good? What if his good will requires change? What if his good will requires an admission that I was wrong? Right? Are we at a place? Are we at a place where we say, Lord, you are a good God. I trust in your goodness. I want your good will over my personal preferences. I want your goodwill over my personal preference. Right? Because He's not out to ruin your life. If God calls us in Hebrews to fellowship, not forsake the fellowship, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Right? If, if God is a good God and His will is revealed in His good word, it's the good book. If the good book reveals God's good will, just an example, and he says not to forsake the gathering, right? Then why do we forsake the gathering? If it's what his good will is and what is goodest for us. You've got to ask yourself those questions. See, they, they, it's not these huge, big issues in our life, guys. It's the little things that we just, oh, that's okay. I just don't want to. I just don't think. That's okay. Those are the areas where my opinion and doing what's right in my own eyes rears itself up in the little things. And then, yeah, then it masks itself ultimately into a bigger crisis, potentially, right? There's this um, chorus from a song called Trust His Heart. It says this, God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see His plan... When you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. When, you, when you're in a circumstance and you don't get it and you don't see how God is moving in it, you don't see his hand, trust his goodness. If you don't see his hand, trust his heart for you. Amen? Robert's going to come up and we're just going to have a time of, of reflection. And, and here, here's where we are. I've shared with you the story of a teenage guy that I, I worked with in San Diego for a long time, pretty long time. And he was involved in gangs, hardcore gang member. And we met, his, church, his family came to our church, and I met with him and over a lengthy period of time. And then we lost contact, and I had heard through the grapevine that uh, his gang lifestyle led to prison, and he was out. And he was in this new development lane tile by a ch- in Oceanside. And so I went to see him. And I said, Hey, man, you remember all the time we met and all the Bible studies I took you to? Did it make a difference? And you know what he said? He said this. You were a good influence, but I was going to do what I was going to do. See, here's the thing. God just doesn't want to be a good influence. Because there's a way that seems right to a man. 
but the end is death. God wants you to know His good will, to trust His good will, and by faith to walk in His good will. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, You are a good God. And we ask Your forgiveness this morning for the areas in our life where we have been king and doing what is right in our own eyes. We ask forgiveness for those areas in our life where we've been listening to our voice rather than Your voice. And so as we prepare for communion, we just want to take this time to make it right. This time to affirm that you are good all the time. That your will is good all the time. And Lord, in the best way we know how this morning, to say, Lord, help me through your Holy Spirit to trust your good will. And if I've gotten ahead of you, if I've been doing things in my life where I have not sought you first, I ask your forgiveness. And I ask you now, Lord, just to settle me down. To come to a place of resting in who you are. I don't understand all the whys, but I know now that you are a good God. I don't want it to be just head knowledge. I want to live it. Check my motives. I want to be passionate about you and not just your gifts. So Lord, in this time of communion, I give it as a a time of remembering Jesus and what He did for me, Your goodness in the cross. And I want that goodness, Lord, to be manifested in my life. And so we're going to bring the... uh, trays here again and if you're joining us for the first time we're going to give you an opportunity to uh, come up when you're ready to take communion you can actually go back and and take communion by yourself you don't have to wait for me and and this is an opportunity for us as a church just to say lord make this real lord You've shown me your mirror. Now I'm going to ask you what needs to be corrected. I don't want to be deceived into thinking that listening to another sermon on another Sunday was enough. And so in this time of communion, I ask you, Lord, speak to my heart personally about the grace through the cross, but also about the goodness you desire in my life and help me to yield to your will above my personal preferences. Amen.